Welcome to Harmony Christian Church Podcast. For more information about us, visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org. A few weeks ago, we talked about that when God promises something, there's often a gap between when he promises something and when there's the fulfillment of the promise. And I'm in the room with mostly farmers this morning, and you all know what it's like to experience that gap. So the Bible says in Genesis something, Genesis uh, uh, 8, 22, it says, As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So there's that, that promise there that as long as the earth endures, there's going to be seed, and then I like to break up the word, time, and then harvest, right? So when you put the seed in the ground, there's a space of time before you can reap what you've actually sown. And it's this picture of God promising something and then the fulfillment of that promise, that there's this gap in between. And how many of you farmers can tell me how sometimes that gap is, can be extremely difficult, right? There can be some anxiety. There can be some worry. There's a lot of work to be done in the middle of that gap. Um, but in between the planting of the seed and the harvest, there's this gap. When uh, we first moved here, Amber and I, I had grown up my entire life in Kokomo, Indiana, right across the street from the high school in a neighborhood. The only farming that I had ever experienced was my dad growing a couple tomato plants on the side of the yard. So that was my knowledge of farming. So I had a whole lot to learn when I joined this community. Just to give you an idea of my lack of knowledge, I used to think that the corn going down the road, that it was, that it was all just sweet corn. Like we ate all of that. Like I thought that was just the corn to supply the world sweet corn you know i i had no idea that there was you know the diff there was a difference between sweet corn and seed corn and i'm sure there's all kinds of other differences that i've still yet to learn and I've, i'm learning more every day because my father-in-law is works at bex right and was a farmer his whole life so i have i have good resources but but the point is is i didn't really know much about farming so the year we moved here one of the one of the first farming seasons we were in this church and in this community was the season where we had that major drought I'm sure everybody in this room remembers the drought. What year was that? 2012, the, the, the year of the drought. And you see, growing up, when there was, you know, no rain during the summer, I didn't think of it as a drought. I thought of it as, hey, we don't have any rain out games to make up for baseball or, you know, we get to go swimming every day or, you know, I thought it was awesome that it wasn't raining. And then we moved here and I realized how horrible it is when it doesn't rain in the summertime, when it doesn't, when we don't have enough rain, enough moisture. And so I, I had a lot to learn. But, but the, the idea, and, and that, that year is a perfect example of what that gap can look like, that you have, you plant the seed, you have the promise, and that in between the fulfillment or the harvest, that in between the planting and the, the reaping, that there's this gap where anything can happen. It can, be a, it can be an easy season, it can be a difficult season, it can be just a mystery season, whatever you want to say, but there's, there's this gap in between the fulfillment of the promise. And so that's, that's what we're, we've been talking about is this gap in between the, the promise and the fulfillment. Last week we, we talked about what, we, we began talking about what do you do in the gap? How do you maintain faith in the gap? How do you maintain a 
a, um, a level of believing and of, of being consistent and pursuing faith when you're in the middle or you're in between the promise and the fulfillment. And one of the first things we talked about was that the first thing you have to do is you have to make the promise clear. You have to make the promise clear. You have to pray. You have to seek the Lord. You have to open the scriptures and and make sure that the promise lines up with his word. You have to make the promise clear. And once the promise is clear, then you never settle for anything less than the promise. Once the promise is clear, you never settle for second best. You never settle for good enough. You never settle for anything less than what he said would happen. This, the scripture we talked about last week was Lazarus, that Jesus tells his disciples when Lazarus gets sick, he says that this sickness will not be unto death. What's the very first thing that happens, the very next thing that happens? Lazarus kicks the bucket, right? He dies. He promised he was going to live, and the very next thing that happens is the exact opposite of the promise. Lazarus dies, few days later, Jesus finally strolls into town and Martha runs out to him. And and she's like, Jesus, where were you? If you were here, my brother would not have died. But then she says this important statement. Anybody remember? I got a snicker bar if you remember. If you, I really don't have a snicker bar, so I got a really good high five if you remember. Even now, there it is. That'll preach, right? Even now, she says, she says, Lazarus is dead. But even now, you can do whatever you want to do. And that is what it looks like to never settle. That even though Lazarus was dead, everyone gave up hope. Hope was gone. Lazarus already died. In fact, he was dead for four days. But even now, the one who made the promise is faithful to complete it. So never settle. Make the promise clear and then never settle for anything less. Amen? The next thing I want to talk to you about this morning, I'm probably going to wrap up this whole, I guess you could call it a series um, on faith, is what, on, on what, to, what do you do in the gap? So you, you, you make the promise clear and then you never settle. What else do we do in the gap? Um, and, and here's what I want to talk about with you this morning. That in the gap... Uh, you have to build an infrastructure that can bear the weight. You have to build an infrastructure that can bear the weight. And this, this idea can actually apply to many areas of our lives. But this morning, I want to talk about building an infrastructure to hold the weight of faith, okay? To hold the weight of being in the middle of the gap, that when the storms come, that you have a structure, you have a foundation that can handle the weight of faith. Amen. So when I, when we, Amber and I lived in Alabama, I still did a lot of construction. Um, I used to do construction for a living. I, I mean, a buddy of mine owned a business together and, and uh, he, we moved down together in Alabama to do the ramp school of ministry. And while we were down there, we continued on the business and kept doing construction. And while we were down there, one of the main jobs I did on houses was I had to repair the sill plate, the band board, and usually replace the joist. And for those of you who don't know anything about construction, that is the whole foundation, other than the block, that is the foundation of what the entire house stands on. So the sill plate goes, you know, here, then the band board, the 
the, you didn't know you were getting a construction lesson this morning, the joist and the weight of the house sits on that sill plate and on, that, on, the, on, the, on the joist. Well, what would happen a lot of times in Alabama, because for some reason, pay attention, if you go to the South, they don't believe in gutters. Like maybe some of the more expensive houses have gutters, but most of the houses don't have gutters. So what happens is the water runs off the roof, hits the ground, and what does it do immediately? goes right into the bandboard and the sill plate, into the foundation of the house. And so I, I, don't, I can't even count how many houses I had to crawl under and tear out all of the sill plates, the bandboards, which if you've ever done that before, you know how scary that can be because you're taking out what is holding the house up and you're underneath the house. So every little, you know, noise is, is, is another, you know, I wet my pants, I guess, several times while I was underneath the house you know, trying to replace these, these, these sill plates and band boards. And so, so I had to replace several of these. I had to repair the infrastructure, right? I had to repair the infrastructure. So what would, ha- what would happen if, if, that, if we just left that to decay? At, at the very least, you have saggy floors. Your floors will sag and dip. At the most, your house will completely collapse because these three boards, the sill plate, the band board, and the joist, are what is holding up your entire house. It's the foundation of your entire house. So, so to, in order to maintain faith in the gap, in order to, to last in the middle or in between the, the promise and the fulfillment, you have to build this infrastructure to be able to withstand the storm, to be able to withstand the weight of the waiting period. You have to build an infrastructure. So what, what does that look like? What does the infrastructure look like? Like any good preacher, I have three points for you today. There's probably many more things we could talk about, but these are the three I felt we needed to talk about this morning. So what is the infrastructure? The first one I think is obvious. It's prayer. The first infrastructure is prayer. Prayer is just a little bit important in the Bible, right? So let's look at some scripture in the Bible about prayer. In uh, Acts chapter 1, as the disciples were waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, this is what it says. It says, all of them were united in prayer, gripped with one passion, interceding day and night. And then in Acts chapter 2, Luke is summing up the activities of the church of Jerusalem, and he says this. He says, every believer was faithfully devoted to following the teaching of the apostles. Their hearts were mutually linked to one another, sharing communion and coming together regularly for prayer. In Acts chapter 6, the disciples were searching for seven good men that could come and they could serve and take some of the weight off of their shoulders. And what was the reason? So that the disciples could devote themselves to the revelation and to prayer. In Ephesians chapter 6 and Colossians 4, Paul talks about being devoted to prayer. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17, he steps up his game and he says, don't only be devoted to prayer, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Numerous times in the Bible, numerous times in the Bible, I, I tried to look up to see how many times and, and some of the, the, the uh, accounts were, were kind of unfamiliar, so I didn't get an exact amount, but numerous times in the Bible, Jesus is recorded going off alone by himself to pray. It's how he dealt with the constant pressure of ministry. 
It's how he dealt with the loss of his friends, such as John the Baptist. He prayed before he ministered. He prayed after he ministered. He prayed while suffering on the cross and before he suffered on the cross. And then he prayed when he was raised from the dead. Prayer was the foundation for Jesus. Prayer was the anchor for the disciples, and it was the anchor for Jesus. Don't you think it should be our anchor as well? Don't you think that prayer should be our anchor as well? I think many of us are walking around defeated and with a lack of faith because we lack a prayer life. Because we lack a consistent, and I'm not saying that we never pray. I don't think it's that we never pray. I think we don't do it consistently. We don't have a daily communion walk with God. And because of that, I think when storms come, our faith is easily shaken because we are not rooted in prayer. We're not rooted in seeking the face of the one who's made the promise. We've got to talk to the one who made the promise if we're going to last in faith. It says, uh, Samuel Bentley and uh, Micah Wood in the book Simple Devotion, which many of you have heard us talk about, they say prayer is the one thing that everyone assumes everyone else is doing, but in reality, hardly anybody is. Isn't that true? That it's the one thing we assume. We're, we're Christians, we're believers, we're in church. We assume that everyone in this room is praying on a consistent basis. But in reality, when we really break down our lives, many of us spend very few hours dedicated to prayer. And I think because of that, our faith suffers. I think because of that, our, our faith is shaken when storms come because we haven't spent enough time staring in the face of the one who can save us from the storm. We haven't spent enough time staring in the face of the one who made the promise, who is faithful to complete it. And because we haven't stared in his face enough, our faith is shaken when the storms come. So number one, we have to become people of consistent prayer, especially when we're in the gap, especially when Lazarus dies and the promise is Lazarus will live. We have to be people of consistent prayer, especially in the gap. Amen? You have to talk to the one who gave you the promise. So number one, building infrastructure. We have to become people of consistent prayer, daily prayer. Amen? Number two, point number two, surround yourself with people that build your faith and distance yourself from people who tear it down. Surround yourself with people who build your faith and distance yourself from people who tear it down. Um, in the book here called Watching the Road, it's, this is Karen Wheaton, who is the senior leader at The Ramp, the founder of The Ramp. Um, she wrote this book, and the, and the entire book is about uh, one of her daughters, whose name was Lindsay, and Casey, who, is, who was her son-in-law. He's one of the ministers there at The Ramp. They went through a season where Lindsay kind of just went off the rails for a while. And she, uh, she filed for divorce, divorce from Casey for really no, no reason whatsoever. Casey was faithful and he, he was good to her, but she decided she wanted to live a different life. And so she filed for divorce and they went through this two year, two or three year process. It was two year process um, where, where Miss Karen was faithfully praying for her daughter to return home to her family. 
And the promise was she spent time in prayer, she spent time seeking the Lord, and she got confirmation after confirmation that the promise was that Lindsay and Casey would be back together and that, that Lindsay would come back to the Lord. And so this was the promise, and the entire book is this journey through that promise. It's the journey right from the beginning. You hear the promise, and then at the very end, you see the fulfillment. But the entire book is about this journey in between the promise and the fulfillment. And uh, I won't, I mean, I, you know, spoiler alert, Lindsay does come back home at the very last moment. They were, they were on the, the, they had already gone through all the divorce papers. All that was left was for the judge to sign it. And it was either the day of or the day before the judge signed it, she came back home. And the marriage was instantly restored. Amazing, amazing story. I highly recommend you read this book and you read Lindsay's book. Lindsay wrote a book from her perspective about that whole season. So enough for the promotion. Uh, let, me, let me read you what I, the whole point of that. So, so Miss Karen was going through this season. And this is something she wrote in this book. She said, I had to find those who were called to carry this burden with me, whose assignment it was to pray for Casey and Lindsay's marriage. There were many people who were praying for Lindsay during this time, and I'm so very thankful for each one of them. There were several who went beyond the call of duty to join me in prayer. Those who stood with me in strong agreement were the members of my family and an intimate circle of friends. They kept watch and they preserved with me in faith. There was one lady, though, who was a godsend in my life for the entirety of my journey of intercession. Her name was Pam Barnett. For more than two years, Pam made herself available for prayer literally 24-7. We prayed in absolute agreement, believing that God was going to bring Lindsay home, period. We wept together, shouted together, and decreed God's word of the Lord together at the top of our lungs together. On the days when the battle was the most intense and I was struggling to keep believing she would preach to me we are not giving up we will not be moved what God has said is going to come to pass when I couldn't pray or even speak I would hold the phone to my ear while she quoted the promises of God he had given me Pam and I declared countless times in the worst of times Casey Doss loves Lindsay Doss and Lindsay Doss loves Casey Doss this was the will of God and we knew it. Every time we agreed upon and decreed these words into the opposing atmosphere, the power of God was released to bring it about. We understood that there was power in the word and the will of God and that there was power in agreement. And this is my favorite part, you ready? All my nerds will love this part. Like Frodo and Sam Wise from the Lord of the Rings. Can I get a woot woot for some Lord of the Rings fans? That was a really quiet, we must not have very many. Yeah, I got two. Okay. <laughs> From the Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, we shared a burden. So just like Frodo and Samwise, they shared a burden. In the movie, Frodo's burden was too great for him to carry alone. The mission required both, them, both of them to give their all to focus on one thing, destroying the evil ring. When Frodo could go no further, Samwise, who's the real hero of the story, right, not Frodo, it's Sam, gathered all his, uh, all his remaining strength and said, I can't carry your burden, but I can carry you. He said, I can't carry your burden, but I can carry you. With that being said, he picked up Frodo and carried him up the mountain to the place where the victory was ultimately won. 
Pam did the same for me, and forever I will truly be grateful for her and the other godly people who stood for me. You have to surround yourself with people who believe the promise and who have faith to stand with you in the promise. And there's going to be, like she said in this book, there's going to be a lot of people that that are for you and will pray for you, but it's important that you get this circle around you of people who will stand with you when you can't stand for yourself. You have to be surrounded by people who will fight the battle with you when you're in the most intense part of the battle and who will not settle for less than the promise with you, but will battle with you to see the total fulfillment of the promise. It's so, so incredibly important that you find people that are like-minded, that can surround you and be with you in prayer and hold you up when you're in prayer, amen? Just like Samwise carried Frodo. He's, even though they can't carry the, barrier, or the burden for you, that, that they can carry you, they can help to, to carry you. And so let, let me, sh- I got a couple scriptures that go along with that, or one scripture, Matthew 18, 19 through 20, it says, again, I give you this eternal truth. If two of you agree at, and ask God for something in symphony of prayer, my heavenly Father will do it for you. For whenever two or three come together in honor of my name, I am right there with them. We are not built to walk the narrow road alone. You have to find people that are like-minded, that are willing to press with you and to not settle with you, to walk the narrow road with you. It's so important. Amen? Find people that will encourage you, that will agree with you, and that will fight with you and for you when your faith is weak. The same is true on the opposite side as well. That while you want to gather people who surround yourself with people who will hold you up and build your faith, you also want to distance yourself from the naysayers, from those who want to compromise with the, with the uh, promises. And let, let me say this first and foremost, most of the time, those people are very well-meaning and they're trying to be helpful and they're trying to be supportive. But those people are the kinds of people that say stuff like, 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 for instance, you know, we want to win Elwood to the Lord. Those are the kind of people that say, you know, that, that sounds like a great plan, but Elwood is full of drugs. It's full of poverty. It's nearly impossible. It would be almost impossible. So don't get your hopes up, right? They're those people. They're the people that say, don't get your hopes up. Don't believe too hard for this because you're going to walk into disappointment. Those are what, those are what the kind of people, or, or, um, Maybe it's, maybe it's a different situation. Maybe you're, maybe you're somebody who's praying for a baby. Maybe I, I've seen this so many times. My sister went through this. Uh, the doctor said that she would not be able to have a baby, that physically she would not be able to have a baby. And if she would, it'd be very unlikely. You know, the naysayers are the ones who would say, you know, the doctors know what they're talking about, which they do. I'm not saying anything against doctors, obviously. But they would say things like, don't just spare yourself from this journey of disappointment and just accept the fact that it's, that it's probably not going to happen. They're well-meaning. They're trying to comfort you. They're trying to help you along. But in reality, if he promises you that you will have a son or a daughter, then you don't settle for anything less than that. And that, that particular story, I've seen my sister go through it, and I've seen several friends go through that same exact thing where the doctor said that it's physically impossible for you to have a baby. And what they did is they surrounded, they went to prayer first, and they sought the promises of God. 
And when they made the promise clear, they surrounded themselves with people who would fight with them to see the fulfillment of the promise. So, so you have to distance yourself from the naysayers. I'm not saying that you completely unfriend them. I'm saying that everything that they say to you, you take with a grain of salt. Is that the right expression? I didn't know if it was sugar or salt. It was one of those things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you have to let what they're saying go in one year and out the other. Let what they're saying roll right off your back and then surround yourself with people that will build your faith and not discourage you in your faith. This happened with Miss Karen. She talks about in her, in her book that many well-meaning people and even ministers that she was well acquainted with would sit her down and they would tell her, listen, Miss Karen, Lindsay's an adult. She's gonna make her own choices and she may choose, choose to run away from God, but you have to move on with your life. You can't spend your life chasing after her. You have to let her go. And they were trying to be helpful. But in reality, Miss Karen says in the book, she said she would go back after those kinds of conversations to her prayer closet and be like, but God, you promised me that their relationship would not end in destruction, that their two girls would not grow up in a divided house. You promised me this. And, they, and she would hang on to that promise. She even had one person she, she talks about in the book that told her, listen, the Bible says that if you train a child up in the way they should go, that when they're old, they will not depart from it. It's a beautiful promise from the Lord. And then they, they, they told her after that, saying that scripture, they said, Lindsay is probably going to lose her marriage. She's probably gonna lose her relationship with her kids, but don't worry, one day she will come back to the Lord. And it sounds wonderful, it sounds nice, but Miss Karen's like, do my kids really have to suffer when the promise is that their marriage would be restored? Do, is, that, is that what we're settling for? Is that one day she'll come back, but she's gonna blow up her marriage and she's gonna destroy her kids' rela relationship with her kids, but one day, that's the promise? And she said, no, that's not the promise and I will not settle for anything less than full restoration. And like I said, it, and, and it was this two-year-long process, and she had to distance herself from the naysayers. She had to, or in Lord of the Rings terms, from the Saramans, right? <laughs> Two people get it, so that's good. You have to distance yourself from the naysayers, from the ones who say it's impossible. You need to just move on, and you need to surround yourself with people who are like-minded in faith and who can strengthen you when you're at your weakest, amen? All right, my last point. Number three, you have to remember what he has already done. You have to look back on your life and take inventory of all the promises that he has kept to you. All the, the goodness of the Father that you, you have experienced throughout the years, you look back on all of that, you take inventory and you remember everything that he has done because then what that does is that when you look back on his faithfulness in the past, it gives you faith to realize he's going to be faithful in the future. It builds your faith back up. In, uh, in Matthew, uh, the story, it's a familiar story um, that the, the Gospel of Matthew tells where Jesus had just gotten done feeding the 4,000 people with, I believe in this story, it was seven loaves and three fish. And before that even, he had already fed 5,000 people with some more five loaves and two fish. I never remember that number, ever. 
I don't know why. I even studied it this week so I would remember it wouldn't look stupid up here, not being able to remember, but I have to look down at my wife who's much smarter than me. Five loves two fish. So you remember the story so that Jesus just got done finishing or just got done feeding 4,000 people with seven loaves and three fish in this story. And it says in the Bible that there was, there was uh, so much left over that, uh, that they had baskets full of just leftover fish and bread. And so the disciples get on the boat. Uh, the story goes on where the disciples get on the boat and they're heading to a different land um, to share the gospel. And while they're on the boat, they realized that they had left all the leftover bread Back at, back at the last shore. It's kind of like when you go to like Chili's or Roadhouse or one of those things and you get one of those to-go boxes and then you leave it on the table. You know how frustrating that is because you were really looking forward to that for lunch the next day? Can you tell I've, I've done this before? It was kind of like that. They forgot their, their bag or their box on the table. They left the, the extra bread. And so they're on the boat and Jesus tells them, he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So he's talking to them when they get to port. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples take that and they're like, okay, leaven, he's talking about bread. Oh no, we left, we left the dinner box back on the table. We left the, the boxes of bread back at the last land. So he must, he must be yelling at us for forgetting, forgetting the bread. And, what, and Jesus looks at him and he says, he says, how little is your faith? I'm not talking about bread. And then he says, don't you remember don't you remember that just a little while ago, I fed 4,000 people with seven loaves and a few fish? Don't you remember what I did with the 5,000 people and feeding them with five loaves and two fish? Remember what I've already done. Do you really think I'm, talk, I'm worried about bread in this moment when you remember what I've already done? And Jesus is telling us this, this important important detail that in order to have faith for what's going on right now, we have to remember what he's already done. We have to remember the things he's already accomplished, the, the faithfulness that he has already demonstrated to us, that when we remember his faithfulness of what he did in the past, we are strengthened to, to acknowledge the faithfulness of what the situation we're in right now. Amen? Another story in the Bible, another example of this is in 1 Samuel verse, or chapter 17. 1 Samuel, I believe that's right. Yeah, 1 Samuel 17. And uh, uh, the, the Israelites were making a stand against the Philistine army. So they were, they were facing off one another. And then out of the Philistine armor comes this giant of a man named Goliath. Who, who stands and he opposes Israel. And he, he makes this... this um, um, he tells, them, he tells them this, that if, any, if you bring out your best warrior to fight me, whoever wins, we will, if, if you win, we will surrender and become your slaves. But if I win, then you have to surrender and become our slaves. So he makes this declaration to, to Israel and everybody's too afraid to fight them, right? Remember the story. Everyone's too afraid to go out and face this, this, this Goliath, this Philistine. David, being the youngest in his family, goes to bring food to his three brothers. And his three brothers, of course, are like, well, you know, what are you doing here? We're picking on him. And David, and what it really is, is they're jealous of David's courage. So they begin picking on David, and David hears the Philistine come out and, and, and make his, his declaration like he does every day. And David hears him, and he says, is there, is there not a cause? 
Is there not something worth fighting for here? Who, who's going to stand up? This Philistine has, has come out and he's defiling the name of our God. And you're just letting him come out and do it every day, day after day. Who's going to stand up and fight this guy? And so then he goes, he goes to Saul. And, and this is where we kind of pick up in the story. And Saul, or Samuel chapter 17, verse 34, or David is talking to Saul here. And it says this. It says, David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when the lion or the bear came and took a lamb out of his flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it up by its beard, the beard of a bear. And he did something to it. I didn't finish reading. I got excited about the beard. (laughs) I grabbed it by its beard. I struck it and I killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing, has he, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Then the next verse says, Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, the Lord is with you. So David looks at this Philistine and he says, wait a second, if the Lord would deliver me from the lion and the Lord delivered me from the bear, surely he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. That David looked back, looked back at the faithfulness of God, that while he was tending sheep, while he was doing the the small seemingly task of tending sheep, that God delivered him from the lion and the bear, that he was able to tear the lion apart with his hands, and he grabbed that bear by the beard, and he tore him apart. And because God was faithful to deliver him from them, he knew God would be faithful to deliver him from the Philistine. That in the middle of the gap, when we're in the middle of of the promise, when Lazarus has died and hope seems lost, what we do is not focus on what's going on around us. We look back to the faithfulness of God and we take strength from knowing that if he was faithful then, then he will be faithful now. Amen? If he was faithful then, he will be faithful now. So part of building that infrastructure is you have to remember the faithfulness of God. Look back and remember everything he has done for you. Take an inventory in your mind and take even a step further than that. In the middle of that process, I think it'd be helpful to even write down the different promises that God has fulfilled in your life, the different instances where you can see his faithfulness and his goodness. And that out of that, out of remembering, you'll be able to look that giant in the face and say, you don't stand a chance because my God is faithful to accomplish everything he promised. Amen? I gotta end, if I'm talking about David, I've gotta end with the most manly statement in the Bible. Amen? Verse 17, whatever the next verse is, I think it's 40 something, 45. It says, then David goes, so this, this is, time has passed. David has now gone out and he's standing in front of Goliath. And it says that David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you and take your head from you. This day I will give the carcass of the camp Uh, of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. 
I, I love that verse. Is there more? Verse 47. It says, Then all the assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with the sword and the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. That when you look back and realize that he has delivered you from the lion and the bear, then you can look the Goliath in the face and have faith like David did to stare down a giant and say, Today I'm going to cut off your head. Today, I'm going to defeat you and all the world will know of the goodness and the faithfulness of God because I remember what he's already done and therefore I have the faith to believe he's going to deliver you into my hands today. Amen? Amen. We have to remember what God has done. We have to build infrastructure for the gap to be able to last in the gap, to be able to withstand the storms, to be able to withstand the disappointments, we have to build an infrastructure of what? I already get, promised Julie a high five. Let's, let's, let's quiz you again. You have to build an infrastructure first of what? Prayer. Two, surround yourself with those who are like-minded that can help carry you. And three, remember what he has done. I believe that with those three things, with that, that, that infrastructure there, I believe we can weather any storm in the gap. I believe we can withstand uh, whatever thing comes along when we're in between the promise and the fulfillment. And I believe that as we, as we build that infrastructure, our faith will remain strong and we will be able to last until we finally see the day where we can look at that promise and say, God is faithful to accomplish everything that he said he would accomplish. Amen. And the whole world will know that God saves his people. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you. Jesus, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, that you are faithful. God, that as we started out this series with talking about what faith is, faith is that you are constant, that you are trustworthy. God, that, that you are faithful and totally able to complete everything that you promised, Jesus, that you are trustworthy. God, and we just pray right now that you would just release a grace of faith to every person in this room, Jesus, that a grace would come upon us to believe for the impossible things, Lord. God, to believe for things that, that by the world's standards are impossible. But Lord, if they come out of your mouth, we know that you are faithful to accomplish everything that you said you would accomplish. God, I pray faith would arise in this room, Jesus. God, even for the things that uh, we're believing for health-wise, Lord. God, all the prayer requests that we had at the beginning of this service. God, I pray that you would just release a supernatural faith in us to believe that you can come and supernaturally heal Jesus. That you can come and supernaturally take away all cancer. That you can come and supernaturally take away all pain. That you can mend bones. That you can heal minds. Father, that you are able to accomplish anything that you promise. God, I pray a release of faith would come upon this church, God, that we would believe for impossible things, God, and that because we have the right infrastructure in place, God, that we will be able to withstand any storm that comes our way. We honor you. We love you so much, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.